everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jen Hatmaker here. You're very, very happy hostess of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show today. So, we are coming to the end of our series for the love of faith groundbreakers. And I just have to tell you how refreshed and challenged I feel after this series. I have loved hearing from every single one of our guests and they've all been incredibly unique and have experienced life in different corners of the earth and in different sections of society. And um, we've heard about their challenges and joys and triumphs. And I'm grateful for their testimony. Really, I'm so grateful for how many good teachers we have had in this series. So today, I'm absolutely delighted to share that our guest is none other than Pete Inns. Some of you already know Pete for sure. Um, And the way that he asks all the hard questions and inserts all the best sarcasm. So that's my favorite combination. He makes my brain stretch so much. And I'm so grateful that he uses his powers for good. So Pete's a thinker. You guys, he is a college professor. He's a writer. He is a co-host of the wonderfully named podcast, The Bible for Normal People. (laughs) I was a guest on his podcast last year. And Pete and his co-host, Jared, and I talked about um, what happens when your experiences press on the way you've always understood the Bible and how you sort of get through that. And is there a way to manage um, the way that we interpret scripture? We're going to talk about so much of this today, you guys. This is a really fascinating conversation. Um, So speaking of, Pete has just put out a brand new book that, I mean, it's just so instructive and challenging um, in the best possible way. If you have ever wondered about I don't know, the angry God of the Old Testament or the hardcore rules or so many ideas in scripture that contradict an idea somewhere else Um, and all the confusing things inside the Bible, which is okay to say that. That's real. Um, Number one, you're not alone. And number two, I highly suggest you check out Pete's new book called How the Bible Actually Works. Um, Every single page is loaded with wisdom and, and instruction delightfully right alongside pop culture references like to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and fabulous sarcastic footnotes all along the way. They deserve a Pulitzer by themselves. And so if you're interested in what you hear today, when Pete and I just unpack this all for an hour, definitely check out Pete's other books too, especially um, The Bible Tells Me So. And then one of my favorites of his, The Sin of Certainty, Um, just a, a fabulous fabulous gem. And so um, what I love about Pete is that not only does he validate our questions about the Bible, but he pushes us deeper into the stories that we knew, we know, maybe we thought we knew. And he challenges us to think really critically about what we're reading and how we're reading it. Um, So he'll take things that you've read a zillion times and turn the meaning on its head and you just, your mind just explodes. Um, And you just think, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. I never understood that context. He is such a good Bible teacher. Um, And so you're going to enjoy this hour today. And I hope that we'll all be better thinkers and believers for it. And so with that, I'm very pleased to share my conversation with my friend, the brilliant Pete Enns. Okay. um, I am really, really, really happy that you are on the show today, Pete. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks, Jen. It's just, it's fun to be here. I'm, I'm glad you asked. What I want everybody to know about you is that you're like the super smarty type and, you know, just big brain, big fancy professor, you know, you're just, you're that guy. Um, but also you are like bitingly funny and that is important to me. That's my value system. Um, and so I feel like, okay, I can trust this guy because the first time you and I ever corresponded and it was about your podcast, yeah. me coming on your podcast, you were like so snarky. No, that, yes, I was not. It felt was like I? looking in a mirror in the best possible <laughs> way. And that was just in our correspondence. I'm like, oh, like I thought Pete was a professor. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> It's your guest. Yeah, I sort of masquerade as that every once in a while, though. But uh, yes, yeah, it is your hey, guest. You just got to be real with people, you know. I just it's 
it's who I am, and not everybody yes. likes every part of either of us, you know, and that's same. fine. It's just... <laughs> I was just going to say, same. <laughs> uh, I've long ago made my peace with that. Uh, but it's no disrespect, you know, it's just fun. And um... So, um, <laughs> Pete, I've told my listeners a little bit about you and what you do, um, but let me say this right out of the gate. Congratulations on your latest book, How the Bible Actually Works, because it is really, really marvelous. I don't know anybody that does this with the skilled hand that you do. Um, Thank you. That takes this really complicated conversation and parses it out in ways that um, are so accessible and so reasonable you just do a wonderful job of, of, of discussing the Bible um, rather than this like inerrant rule book, so to speak. Um, you sort of invite your reader to think about the Bible in, for me, new and very exciting ways. And, um, and I appreciate it because I, I suspect a lot of my uh, listeners are a lot like me, which is that there have been... I can't even count how many times I've read the Bible and walked away feeling confused about something or conflicted um, or the Bible itself seemed conflicted. And and so when I get to kind of read your work um, and your scholarship around scripture and how to interpret it and how to understand it, I feel relieved and I feel um, confirmation that I'm not crazy and I'm not alone. Yeah. And so I'm really <laughs> grateful for that. I'm so grateful for Thank you for doing that. Um, so let's, we've got a billion things to talk about yes. and I could, I could speak to you for 10,000 hours, but I would love to focus our conversation today around your book. Um, Cause there's, it's just packed. I mean, it's just literally every paragraph is packed. And so let's just start with this light little easy question. Um, what would you say is the Bible's true purpose? Just easy. Let's go low hanging. Sure. Fruit. Let's just, uh, what is God like? Why don't we just right. throw that one while we're at it? Again. <laughs> good. So, good. Yeah, That's I, good. The way, at least the way I put it in the book and, and, you know, to be, to be honest, I think that there are multiple ways of answering that question. There isn't just one mm. way, but the point that I'm zeroing in on in the book is that the, the, purpose of the Bible is to guide us on a journey of wisdom in this life, okay. as opposed to being sort of the answer book for every question we might happen to ask of it. I think the way the Bible is designed, the way it's sort of packaged, it, it pushes us towards having to take the risk to live a life of faith with mm-hmm. the Bible right there with us, but not being like a helicopter parent that has to hover over us to make sure everything turns out okay. Hmm. Yeah. And that's to me, that's, that's an exciting Bible to me. That's something worth reading. I agree with you. And, and that makes reasonable sense to my brain. And I'm not sure when, at what point God's people decided it was a, a very rigid set of rules. Uh, historically, how would you talk about that? Did we, did, did, did the people of God always look at scripture as a rule book or did we make a mental shift somewhere once the Bible was sort of assembled? Um, and, and then like even more specifically, when did the word inerrant Ugh. begin to describe the Bible? And can you talk about all that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, this, the shift that you talk about, you know, a lot of people have thought about that. And my opinion is you can sort of see a shift beginning around the time of the Protestant Reformation. See, the thing is, here's here's the fascinating thing. If you go back and look at how people were teaching others to read the Bible in, like, the medieval period, like a thousand, yeah. you know, or something, it's like, there are four ways of reading the Bible. One is sort of a literal way. Right. If that's all you got, I guess you can stay with that. But then there are, like, Christological, Christ-centered sorts of ways. There are, mm-hmm. you know, ways about how do I live this life? And what hope do we have for the future? There were, there were rather imaginative ways of reading the Bible. And if you push that back in time, it's like, it's sort of always been that way. You know, when I see hmm. Paul or, or gospel writers talking about their scripture, what we call the Old Testament, they're, they're, they get very creative. And when I think of things hmm. that happen in the Bible itself, these are very creative readings of texts, not like haphazard, but still they're not stuck on literalism or inerrancy the way we are sort yes. of more in the modern world. That, that's the point. And with the Reformation, what you have is a rejection <clears throat> of 
uh, well, Catholicism and all that goes along with it, which mm-hmm. I think was a bit over overstated, but um, mm. then the Bible becomes sort of like the final authority for everything. Right. Not the Pope, not not the Catholic magisterium, they called it, but but mm-hmm. the Bible itself. And, and that sort of sets it up for, I think, problems because the Bible doesn't work well that way as sort of this right. go-to book for everything we have to think about. Hence, thousands of Protestant denominations since the time totally. of the Protestant Reformation, right? Yeah. And sub-sub-sub-denominations that hate each other because they disagree on how mm-hmm. to interpret a verse or something, you know, yeah. so... I think that's sort of where it started. And, you know, inerrancy, very, very briefly, people like Augustine, who lived around the year 400, St. Augustine, he used words like the Bible's without error. But what he meant is very, very different than what we mean today. We're we're modern people, and we look at the Bible from a modernist point of view, which is a very rational, very analytical, this and that. And for, in, in our world today, when we argue that the Bible is without error, it's inerrant, it's really against the backdrop of science and mm-hmm. archaeology and other things that have happened over the past two, 250 years. Right. It's a reaction to threats to the Christian faith, so you sort of hunker down mm-hmm. Well, we have this inerrant text, and that's all there is to it. So if we can kind of take that, um, that idea and thread it forward into like the real life that we're all living right now in modern day. Why, why, what's the advantage here of, in practical terms of having a wisdom book rather than a rule book? So, um, where's the comfort in that? Where is the, um, holiness in it? What, why does this matter? Like how does the way that it actually fleshes out in yeah. real life, why is this a really important point to consider? Well, I think, you know, for some, it might not be a comfort, at least at hmm. first. Because yeah, right. You know, and I get this, completely get this. You know, when you have a way of thinking about your faith and the Bible fits into that as this go-to guide that settles all our big questions for us. And if that seems to be fading away and you have to look at the Bible differently, you do lose a sense of comfort. But I want to suggest it might be a false comfort that is not really relying and trusting on God, but more our own ability to think we understand what God is doing all the time. Right. right? But I get it. You know, I said this, this is how many people are raised in the faith. And but I think at the end of the day, it's not helpful because something can happen in life that just rocks your boat, you know, and you That's have right. to rethink a lot of stuff, right? I mean, you've done that. I've done that. Of course. Gazillions of people have had to do that. Just something right. happens, That's, you know. It's just a salient point that, um, you know, a lot of the tension in our generation comes around this, con- is centered around this conversation. And and there's this sense, oh my, you know, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. And it's, mm. you know, it's this slippery slope argument. And, um, you know, you give here, you give everywhere. But the truth is, every single generation has done this same dance. Oh, yeah. Every single one has wrestled around ideas and faith and wisdom and meaning and interpretation. It's not new. No. It's not new that we are wrestling. It just feels very dire for some reason, because it's our turn to do it. Yeah, and I, I, I imagine most generations have felt that way, but maybe not all of them. You know, I think that's more, again, sort of our moment in time where most of us have been raised in the faith that it is rational, it's defensible, it's totally. the only logical option, all these kinds yes. of things. And and you know what? Just read the Bible. And then you read that's it. Right. And then you're like, I'm in like in chapter six of the Bible and everybody's dying and I don't get it. Right? right. So it's like, what do you do right. with this stuff? Right. So the Bible, the Bible actually deconstructs that very attitude, I think, which is so right. beautiful. And I think people for most of the history of both Christianity and Judaism absolutely got that. I really think hmm. we're more a blip on the screen. We're we're not normal. And what frustrates me, Jen, so much is when I hear people say, well, we believe is what the church has always believed. Oh, really? Yes. Seriously? You think so? Right. There's no way. Right. You know? Right. That actually comforts me so much um, just to sort of it is not even a very complicated deep dive to look over the course of church history and just 
observe how many things have zigged and zagged and shifted and changed. And, um, and I learned from you and from Rachel Held Evans, how Never interestingly, right. Oh yeah. Rachel. Oh, yeah. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I I've heard from both of you and, and this is such interesting, um, sort of academics when it comes to scripture, which is how the Jewish people have always wrestled with the scriptures and the way that they interpret it and the way that they discuss it. And um, so this sense that we are doing things the way they have always been done is just not true. Right. It's just simply not true. Even even down to the the mechanics of the way we wrestle with scripture. Like we don't, it isn't an open-ended, it's, no. it's certainty. Of course, you know a little bit about certainty too. You've written about that as well. Hey, everybody, Jen breaking in for just a second. I am, as you know, a huge advocate for counseling and feel like sometimes we just need a little guidance from a trusted source who can help us look at things objectively and find a way forward. So BetterHelp Counseling, it's an online resource that offers licensed professional counselors, and they're specialized in issues like depression and stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief, honestly, you name it so much more. Um, you can connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, absolutely confidential online environment. Uh, you can even schedule secure video or phone sessions or chats or texts with your therapist. And so best of all, it is truly affordable, which hinders a lot of us from good counseling. And so for you guys, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, BetterHelp is giving you 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So if you're needing a little help getting to that good change in your life, go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay. So one more time, betterhelp.com slash for the love using the code for the love. Okay. Back to our show. in a little bit in this in your in this book specifically um you you sort of unspool two verses in the book of proverbs oh yeah that show what's kind of in a nutshell how we're supposed to read the bible with our brains turned on can you talk more about that sure yeah i i sort of i mean you gotta start someplace so i, I early on in the book I look at a couple of Proverbs that are right next to each other. This is in Proverbs yes. chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. And verse 4 says, uh, Do not answer fools according to their folly, or mm -hmm. you will be a fool yourself. Okay, right. great proverb. Next proverb, the exact opposite. Answer fools according to their right. folly, right. or they will be wise in their own eyes. And the question is, okay, <laughs> Bible, what do you right. want me to do? Which totally. one is true? Yeah, you know, and and like to me, these are and, and Proverbs does this a lot. Not so much next to each other, but just throughout the book, you have what we would rightly call contradictory proverbs, and yeah. they are contradictions if you're expecting this book to tell you what to do, mm. right? Because this raises all sorts mm -hmm. of questions, like, okay, is this person a fool or not? And then is this the right yeah. time to answer this person or not? Yeah. Sometimes you have to tell somebody off. Sometimes you have to walk away. Right. Right. How do you know what to do? Well, the Bible's not going to tell you that, pal. You got to mm. figure that one out. That's the path that's of good. wisdom, and that's trial and error. That's learning from your mistakes. That's learning from the wisdom of people around you who have been through this sort of thing. That's right. This is just sitting back and taking a deep breath. Right. I mm. think that is the life of faith more than flipping to the Bible, like finding in the index fools. Okay, go to this page. Mm. Here's what you do. It doesn't tell you what to do. You've got to you've got to own this and frankly figure it out. So, to this point you're making, I'm thinking about people listening who are starting to feel like tight in their chest. Yeah. Um so what would you say like why is the Bible's ambiguity? And that is true. There's plenty of parts of the Bible that are ambiguous. Um or it's vagueness or to your point it's contradictions. Um why do you suggest that this is good news for us, not bad news? Uh, simply this, because it forces us into an immediate connection with the Creator. Hmm. In other words, I, I don't think the Bible is our mediator. I think God's hmm. Spirit is present with us. I think what the Bible is, is yeah. a partner. 
in that journey. And to me, that's that is good news, right? It's it's mm-hmm. God is not distant. God is right here. And you know, sometimes the Bible can become an idol. Yeah, mm-hmm. anything, oh, church, no doubt. anything can be at church can become an idol. How you think yes. about God can be an idol, right? And and I think this the immediacy of just just relaxing and knowing, believing that God is here present with us, mm-hmm. and. I'm on a, uh, I'm on a path of discovery. I'm on a path of of journeying towards greater communion and knowledge and intimacy with the Creator. Mm. And that's not something that will come from the book. Yeah, but it's the Bible. I know. But look at how the Bible is set up. You have people inside the the Bible having arguments about what God is like. That's right. You have different takes on so many different things, and it's like, okay, it's like this. All right, people. This is God talking. You, you want you want a holy book to guide you. Fine. Here it is. But just to make sure you don't get the wrong idea, I'm going to have it be really weird, and I'm going to have things in there that just you can't reconcile with each other. Just so you don't get the wrong idea that this book is the same thing as me. That's and good. that's the that's the problem I think with with many articulations of the faith today. It's it's yeah. it's equating the two almost, and that's just not the case. No, and Jesus said that exact same thing. I mean, lest there be any doubt, you know, he also said, you're going to the scriptures for life, but like, I'm the guy, Right. you know, right. come to me. I, I'm actually the source of life. Um, one of the, one of my favorite things that you wrote, um, it's just so to me, very profound is that laws are not set in stone. They are, they're meant to adapt with the times and even more, one click forward, they were adapted in the Bible too. Yeah. So, um, you know, you don't have to be a Bible reader to understand why it's so important that we have laws that are able to flex with the times. I mean, we see that in our own constitution. Yeah. There is a reason we have amendments, mm-hmm. you know, as as time marches on, as the arc of um, justice, you know, reaches forward. So can you talk a little bit more about why it is vital to have adaptive principles and where we see, for example, um, Old Testament writers um, or New Testament writers adapting old rules for a new generation. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's important because that is what leads you on the path of seeking wisdom, right? Because if, if you're seeing, let's say, things being adapted in the Bible itself, because times have changed. And I know that's that sounds like really, my pastor said I should never pay attention to the times. And I mm-hmm. get that, because you don't want to sort of make everything relativistic. But right. still, there's wisdom there, like there are times when you need to change, <laughs> and other times yeah. when maybe you don't. And that's a wisdom call. The Bible doesn't lay that out for us. What the Bible does lay that's out right. is that there is a journey, there are these decisions that have to be made, because times change and circumstances change. You know, and mm. and I and to me that is that's again part of the beauty and also maybe a little bit scary part of the Bible that it it simply doesn't let you get comfortable thinking I have this figured out because I have these fifteen verses in my pocket. There are fifty mm. more that aren't going to help you, pal. You know, I mean, there, right. there are a lot of others that have to be thought through, and and I think that's a, that's actually a beautiful thing about the Bible itself. It keeps it, it keeps us from making an idol out of it. I'm listening to you say that, and I feel like a heavy rock in my chest because I agree with you. I think that was the way that the Bible was written and structured, and it left so much breathing room um, for the human race to grow and and to adapt. And yet, we we rarely see this approach to Scripture. So instead so often what was meant to be this beautiful, liberating book of wisdom to guide the church forward generation after generation mm-hmm. has become such a wrecking ball, such a um, such a source of pain yeah, a weapon. for so many people. And, you know, that, that sort of tension within the body of Christ is just ubiquitous. But, yeah. um, but I appreciate your approach to scripture um, in terms of Trajectory, that's incredibly helpful. That's incredibly useful to me um, as somebody who loves Jesus and simply really wants to live a life of faithfulness and obedience. That's, 
Um, and it's a biblical that, principle, Jen. I mean, I don't like yes. the word principles, but you see that modeled within the pages of the Bible itself. Now, the question is, do we have the right to say that process has ended? What, mm. what is more faithful to Scripture? Is it thinking in terms of trajectories or thinking in terms of a rule book? I, I think good. it's trajectories because that's what the Bible keeps doing. Yeah, well, they're inspired. All the more reason we should be trying mm. to follow you know, mm. their lead and not say, well, that was good for them, but now we have to treat the Bible in ways that they didn't even treat it. It doesn't that's make any right. sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's right. And, and, and again, just to sort of engage brain, um, most people would agree that, um, you know, at this point in time, we absolutely stand by lots of trajectories, anybody from even, um, on opposite sides of perhaps the LGBTQ, um, you know, but collectively we can stand and say, you know, that slavery trajectory is probably correct. That, that we probably should not own human beings and the tra- trajectory for women um, and, and empowerment and um, honoring of women and interracial marriages. I mean, there's, it goes on and on and on. And so to say that the, that sort of the arc of justice is appropriate in some cases, but absolutely inconceivable in others, it feels disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, um, digging our heels in in a space where the church dug their heels in a few generations ago when they were wrong. Absolutely. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Okay. Um, let's do. Let's go, Jesus. <laughs> what do you make of having? I thought we were just doing that, Jen. Well, we. You know what we were. <laughs> we were talking about Jesus. It's all in one bucket, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what do you make of having four versions of the Jesus story in the Bible? Do do scholars like you say that there's one depiction of Jesus that is maybe more accurate than the others? I mean, Luke was a doctor. Maybe he was just more specific. I don't know. Um, or is there just something different that we can learn about who Jesus is based on each gospel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's God's little joke to modern people <laughs> that there are four versions that don't really fit on some points. I mean, they're, they're not talking about different people. Clearly, they're talking about the same person. But yes. the way they tell the stories and what they leave out, what they add, mm-hmm. and even where they're the same, they're different. Yeah, it's peculiar. Maybe. I just tell my students, compare the birth stories in Matthew and Luke. Yeah. And in church, we keep meshing them together, but they're actually very separate stories that tell very different stories about who Jesus is. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, it is what it is. There are four, right? Yeah. And there was a time early on in the history of the church where people said, you know, let's just make one big one out of this. And they tried to bring the four together into one big thing. And that lasted for a little while. But people finally said, this doesn't make any sense because you have Jesus going in different places at the same time. And all these resurrection accounts, who shows up when in what order? And it doesn't make any sense. And so in the wisdom of the church, that word wisdom again, they said, listen, we have four. So we, we don't have the gospel. We have the gospel according to Matthew according mm. to Mark, right? And so the the fourness of it, I think, has to be respected. And to ask the question, which one gets it more right? Uh, I mean, I'm actually interested in that question, but I mm. think it's completely and utterly unanswerable. And yes. the fascinating thing about the Gospels, as I see it, is that every biblical scholar, most every biblical scholar will say, listen, the oldest one seems to be Mark. There's a number mm. of reasons for that. Matthew and Luke have a tremendous amount of overlap with Mark. Hmm. And okay, so that's fine. So they seem to be using Mark as at least a partial base for what they're trying hmm. to say. Sure. It's sort of like the main source, and now they're writing their own versions yeah. of it. But just think about that. They're, they're intentionally, they're using Mark's gospel as sort of a foundation for their own. Yes. And then they're changing it explicitly. See, yeah, they don't have point. a problem doing that, right? And yeah. and you know, Luke's trying to do research and stuff like that, but it's not like Luke's is like more of a modern version of history that we mm. know. It's it's an interpretation of Jesus for their communities of faith. It's good. Right? And they're saying different things, I think, for that reason, which again models why reading the Bible well means bringing it into your own context. Hmm. Not just leaving it in the back. They're not. They're not saying which one of us can be more accurate. I hope I get an A right. on this paper. You know, right. it's not totally. like that. they're doing something. Their pastor is writing for people, really, and and they're telling the story differently. Hey guys, this is Jen. 
I wanted to break in real quick and tell you about a special offer from audible.com for you, the listeners of the For the Love podcast. So Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service, which is amazing. If you don't already use Audible, you will love it. So you can get a free audiobook just for trying it out. And maybe you might want to check out the audio version of my book, For the Love, or one of many other titles available on audible.com by yours truly. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker. Super easy. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker for your free audiobook. pivot this direction. Um, you write that diversity is the key to uncovering the Bible's true purpose for us. And of course you're, you're ringing my bell right here. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think right now in our modern world, certainly in our generation, we're starting to, we're starting to understand just how true that is and how we sincerely all benefit when we place equal importance on everyone's story, particularly people who have been marginalized or whose identities hit at the intersections of our culture. Um, can you talk about what that, what that means for us? And why does it matter that the Bible was written by so many different people in different times, in different cultural situations and traditions? And how should that inform the way that we read the Bible and understand it? Yeah, I, I think it informs us in a very, very important way, even I'd say central and pivotal way, when we see biblical writers answering the question, what is God like, differently, and maybe i give an example in a second, but when we see them answering that question differently, because they're in a different era, they're in a, different things have happened to them and to their people that they've had to ask certain questions. That is something that, again, we, we should embrace for ourselves, because mm. we have to—we can't live in the past, even the biblical past. We're, we're not supposed to go back and recreate that world. People try to do right. that. It doesn't work. We live right here and right now. Our question is just like the question the biblical writers asked, what is God like right here and right now? Mm. How does this challenge how I thought about God before? You know, and that's what the story of Jonah is a great example of that, because God tells Jonah to basically preach to the Ninevites, that's right. capital of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were bad people. You don't mess with the Assyrians. But, you know, and Jonah doesn't want to do it because he's afraid that it's going to work, right? Because he doesn't want these people converted or whatever. And right. so you know, that's basically what the book is about. Does God care about people more than just the tribe, more than mm. just the people? And even does God even have, let's say, a heart for about the worst people you could ask the Israelites to get along with, the Assyrians, mm. right? But you see, that's that's Jonah, the book of Nahum, which is just two books over. How, how does God feel about the Ninevites there? Well, he uses words like vengeance and destruction. It's three chapters yeah. of God basically grounding them into the dirt. Yeah. And, and Jonah's Jonah looks at it differently. You know, I, I can't—it's hard to sort of miss— how hmm. in one book, God is sort of doing what God does a lot of in the, at least the Old Testament, which is your enemies are my enemies. Yes. Now, I, I'm on your side as long as you obey, but I am, I'm, I'm not the God of these people. I'm your God, hmm. and we're going to show them. But Jonah was probably written uh, anonymously, we don't know who, but after the experience of the exile in Babylon— where they were thrust out of their land and learning to live with people very different Other from them. People. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, you move to Babylon, which by the way was a pretty nice place to live, and mm -hmm. you, you realize that these people, they're just people. Yeah. Just like exactly. I mean, who has not had that experience? You know, I mean, Great I've had point. it many times. Like, I can't hate you anymore. I sure I really would like to, because I was yes. told I need to, but I can't. Because you're just people. And, you know, when I went to graduate school, I had that same experience. People from all over the world who had no idea what I believed. 
And that made me question what I believed about God, because I said, I can't see, I like these people, I have compassion on them. I can't imagine God having less compassion on them, right? Yes. So what is God like? And it made me think of maybe God is not my tribal property, and maybe that's the book of Jonah as well. You know, these are mm. nice neighbors we have here. You know, honey, they want us to come over for dinner. They want to do yeah. a play date with our kids. They even have beer. I don't even know what beer is, but I can't wait to try it, you know? But that's, <laughs> right. It's sort of like maybe God is bigger. And and we're seeing mm. that kind of movement within the Old Testament. It's not like New Testament corrects the Old Testament God nonsense. Right. But it's within the Bible itself, the Old Testament, you see time after time after time of these wonderful movements toward a God that breaks out of the traditional ways of thinking. Mm. Even if those traditional ways of thinking are, listen, in the Bible itself, yes, right? That's the point. It's not like bad things. It's things that people believed, you know, and that's, oh gosh, don't get me started here, Jen. This I is want like, to get you started. Like, yeah. keep going. Yeah. I, it's so, well, the it's book so of Job. interesting. I mean, the Job is a beautiful book because Job, as we know, is suffering horribly. Yes. Right? Well, why is he suffering horribly? Well, his friends tell him why. Right. Job, what did you do to deserve that? That's right. Right? And he says, well, nothing. Right? But his friends have a point because they're operating on this view that some people call a transactional God. If you sure. obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed, right? Yeah. Where do they get that idea from? Well, that's basically the book of Deuteronomy. Joshua, mm. Judges, Samuel, Kings, and a bunch of the prophets and all over the yeah. place. It's not it's not in a corner someplace. So you must have done something to deserve it. Now, Job, in chapter 1, you were like the best. You had everything, and you were like the best Yahweh worshiper ever. So you obeyed mm-hmm. and you were blessed. Now, you're clearly cursed, ipso facto. You did something to deserve it. Sure. And Abraham's like, I get it. I understand the whole transactional thing. I get the system. I worked it for years. That's uh-huh. not what's happening, right? And at the end of the book, where Job is standing there with his friends, and then God appears to them, and he says to one of Job's friends, my wrath is kindled against you, for you have yeah. not spoken rightly of me as my friend Job has. Hmm. That just, to me, that's like one of the most important verses <laughs> in the entire yeah. Old Testament, because you know, uh, um, uh, Job is challenging this transactional system, and God mm. backs him up. Come on, think about this. You know, this is, okay, well, what do you think about Deuteronomy? Yeah. Well, I'm telling you what I think about Deuteronomy at that point. Mm. See, not that Deuteronomy is a waste of time, but Deuteronomy, there's a portrayal of God there that makes sense in a certain point of time in Israel's history. Mm. But it doesn't stay there because God can't be bound by the way we articulate what God is like. Good. And that's a beautiful thing. I, I just and it's scary. Yeah, I'd like a Bible that tells me all the answers. We don't have it. Do you choose to trust God or not trust God? Now read the Bible in light of that. Hmm. So to to that point, if we read the Bible as an adaptive text, um, um, a, a, a text that is meant to give us wisdom, not rules. Then, pragmatically, how are we supposed to come together in churches or like as a collective group of Christians and figure out how God is working in our time? I mean, is it even possible? Is God just, (laughs) is he just relative to all of us, to everyone? Like, is that true? Is that not true? Like, how, how are we supposed to function as a, as a group? Yeah, and I think that's a pressing question, and I I, I appreciate it. Um, I think it's 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 only possible if the group already is of the same mind that this dialogue that we need to have is part of what it means to live the life of faith, hmm. rather than thinking we can only live the life of faith together if we agree on all these issues. That's a great point. Right? I mean, Which is how the Jewish people approach Scripture. Well, yes, and talk, speaking of Jews, let's talk about Paul for a brief second. You know, this, what, I, what I tell my students is that the further back you go in Christianity, you don't find more unanimity. Like, hmm. all this, like, people screw things up, but boy, I wish I lived in the first century because everything would be hmm. clear. No, it's not. The earliest right. records we have in the New Testament, the, the earliest Christian documents we have are probably like Galatians, and James and like First Thessalonians, right? But especially okay. in Galatians and James, 
Paul does not get along with Peter and James. That's right. He doesn't. I mean, that's the earliest record we have is an argument about what is foundational, really, to what it means to be the people of God. What do you do with Gentiles? And I find that, again, this is just my twisted brain, but I, oh, thank you. I'm so glad to see that. It's a relief. (laughs) You know, because it isn't like we have to get back to some pristine original. We even have four Gospels. You know, where Mm. is the pristine original? It's almost like God is just splashing onto the scene, and Mm. it goes all over the place, and we just jump in, you know? And and it isn't like, it's more experiential. And I will even say subjective than this analytical objectivity that we like to hold on to in the West. That's that's part of the problem, I think. Oh, I feel like I could like expand, like yeah. looking and exhale a little bit. And right. I was raised with the with the Bible, obviously as a rule book, and inerrancy was like one of our pillars. And apologetics was how I understood God. And so um, I find that those that this approach you're describing, it it actually draws me to Jesus more. It does not push me away. It actually draws me more into faithfulness as opposed to further away, which is the argument that, you know, at the end of this, at the end of this road, you're describing, well, what's left? You know, we have nothing but but a bunch of free thinkers um, doing whatever they want. (laughs) It's all relative, you know? Um, And yet that's not how I see it. No, if people are trying to see God genuinely, it's really not free thinking, it's respecting the mystery that we're just people and that we will not wrap our arms around all this. You know, that's why I, well, that's why yeah. I have on my computer desktop, I have pictures of the universe. Hmm. Not that I need reminding of it because it sort of freaks me out, but the universe is a big place. And yes, I, I mean, the God of the incomprehensibly large and small and hmm. old, like, I, I I feel like I have nothing to add to that discussion, really, That's in terms good. of God's ontology, God, what God is in His essence, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I just have to think about myself and what I do and how I act and how I respect the person next to me. And if there's someone next mm. to me who's different than I am, and I have to respect their humanity. And I think that's that's the place to start for a lot of these things. But yes, you know, the, the God of apologetics is not. Um, that will give way sooner or later, I think. Uh, that will Do become you? very dissatisfying for people just individually because at some point you just have to – there's got to be more the, to this than just defending things, mm. right? And that's the, to me, that's part of the problem with that as well. I agree. And I, I this, this discussion, it, it bears to mind how many times in Scripture um, God – in his pressing us forward into wisdom cautions us against pride because it um, i experience the opposite of what you just described so when you have this picture of the universe and it's such a crystal clear reminder like we're like a little just a guy and a girl you know just a guy and a girl <laughs> one minute in the scope of time once one millisecond yeah. in the scope of time we can only know what we know. We've only experienced what we experienced. Uh, it, 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 when we, when I come really, really, really down tight into where we live, what I experience from a great deal of Christian leaders is the opposite. It is very clamped down, very, very certain, um, you know, very dogmatic and punitive. And um, I, I sort of see this culture that, that, is so, uh, there's no other word to, I can't find another word, but so prideful in their Mm -hmm. understanding of God and their certainty that it is exactly the way that they um, perceive it. Uh, It's like, how are we ever, ever going to find any any middle ground? I'm I'm not sure. With with all of your experiences, though, Jen, with these kinds of things, have you come to any sort of sense or understanding of why this clamping down even happens because it seems like it's a big, it's universal. It's not just yeah. today, but it's throughout time. But you know, why, why do people feel like when it comes to God, they have to do that? It's a great question. And I, in my experience, I see a couple of answers to that. I think, um, by the way, thank you for asking me questions on my own podcast. You don't know podcast rules. <laughs> I'm just trying to take nobody's, over here, Jen. Cause... Nobody sent you the rules. <laughs> um, I think on one hand it's comforting. 
um, just because life is so unpredictable. It is so, uh, it's, it's, it, it takes so many turns that we didn't expect. It includes so much suffering and so much circumstantial uncertainty that having some ironclad rules is kind of a comfort. It, it feels like an anchor in a stormy life. And so I think that's part of it. Um, that at least we can say this has always been this way and it is exactly right and we understand it perfectly correctly. Um, so I think there is a comfort in it um, for sure. Um, and then I think, and maybe this is just because I'm a glass half full type and I come by that honestly, that is my family of origin. Mm-hmm. But I, my suspicion is that most people, and I, I there's no such thing as all or none, but I, I think most people who take that very, very, um, a little bit more of a rigid approach to scripture, I think they just want to be faithful. I really do. Yeah. I, I, be, I believe that comes from a place of wanting to be obedient and wanting to stand rightly before God and wanting to say, I managed your word correctly and I did what you said. And so I, I believe in the best of intentions there for the majority of people, um, which is where it gets so wonky, right? right? We're, We're not talking about good and bad people. No, we're, we're that that's way, that's not fair. Um, and so rather I think we're talking about a lot of people who are well-intentioned and want to live this life obediently and faithfully and well. What happens is in those two approaches, so many people get trapped in the crossfire and they are the casualty, right? right? They're the collateral damage of um, of dogma yeah. and of certainty. And so, you know, I, I think this is not, we're not the first generation to have this conundrum, of course, right. um, but it is real. Mm-hmm. It is real, and we do have to sort out how to manage human hearts in the midst of different approaches to Scripture. And for that, I don't really know what the answer is. Right, and I, I think that's an important thing to remember. I, I I mean, I agree with that. These are, you know, quote, some of my best friends are fundamentalists. You know, that sounds really yeah. condescending, but it's true because they're just good people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and there are people who think like I do about some issues who I might not, like, trust as much personally. So this is, this is not about good or bad people. What some people have said, and and this is something I've thought about, and I once said it semi-publicly, and I got a lot of pushback for it. So I'm going to say this gently, wondering if there's a better way of putting it. But <clears throat> it's not about good or bad people, but it might be about maturity levels in faith, where, you know, we've all been children spiritually. I have. You know, I think I still am sometimes. But, you know, we've been children spiritually where the concrete is very important. And, and we need to have the structure. But, you know, when you become an adolescent, you know, you start breaking away from that and you go to college, you figure out the world's a big place and all this kind of stuff. So the more you mature, ideally, I think, the more we should accept the ambiguities of life, the transcendence of life, the mystery of God, and find a way to be comfortable in that. But that takes, if things hadn't happened to me, I don't know where I would be on that. You know, things have happened to you that have pushed you to think about things in, in different ways, too. That is, it's almost like you have to be in tune to your existence, in tune to life, to see where where are the signals where we think maybe God might be pushing us in a bigger and different direction. But that's very hard if you're raised with a concrete view of, you know, the black and white and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, they're not bad people, and the worst thing to do is to tell them they're bad people because they don't think like you do. They're just – they're where they are. Someday they may want to have a conversation with you or with me or somebody else because something has happened, and they're ready for something else at that point. You know, And it's there. It's always been there. So if you could just talk about that for one more second. I, I would love to hear your thoughts to this end um, as a um, – People who are um, believers and they are deeply in community or in a family with folks who feel very differently, um, either maybe all the way to one side, they don't believe the Bible at a, a shred. That is just a book of nonsense. Um, or, you know, maybe on the opposite spectrum, it, it is inerrant, it is infallible, and they can't um, reconcile a different way to approach scripture as a book of wisdom. And that's just life. I mean, uh, to your point, we are both 
deeply in community and surrounded by people who think about the Bible in different ways um, and who approach it in different ways. And so um, how just relationally would you suggest um, that people of good faith who love and believe in God and simply have different ways that they um, adopt scripture into their life, how would you suggest that we peacefully and lovingly and respectfully coexist um, with folks who think really, really differently about us than us? Yeah. It's not an easy I'm question. an American male who's not in touch with his feelings. I'm not sure I can answer that <laughs> question, but I'm going to try. Uh, okay. You know, I think... To, to demonstrate that you value the community more than being right. That's good. And to not basically just don't argue. And mm-hmm. sometimes people try to bait you into arguments. I think that is, a, that is a symptom of spiritual immaturity. Not bad people, but spiritual immaturity. They're maybe insecure about their own beliefs, so they want to argue about it. But then find a tactful way to say, you know, listen, I, I respect what you're saying. I understand it. And uh, that's not where I am right now, but, um, you know, we're in community together. I love you anyway. And, it's a, and I just, I don't want to, us to dwell on those things. I'm happy to talk about them, but don't make it be like, you know, the notch on the belt you have to get to, to be Good. right to your, you know, to your atheist friends or to your fundamentalist friends. Just be who you are. And, you know, you may have to earn the right for people to want to talk with you about stuff that can take years, yes. you know, and. And it's like, it's not up to you to set them straight. I mean, I think God is present. It's not, I'm not the conduit, but Mm. I could be something. And right now, sometimes what I just have to be, well, this is wisdom. I just maybe have to not talk so much and Mm. model something where five years from now, when something terrible happens and their view of God falls apart, they'll remember and they'll have somebody to come talk to, right? That's, it's a long haul, not a short haul. That's good. Uh, laying down the requirement to be right is 80% of all anything I can think of. Um, all of these very, very challenging things that we circle the drain on. Like sports. Um, for example, <laughs> sports. Yes. Um, yeah, just releasing that need to be right is so personally liberating. Um, and it really frees up our relationships to thrive amidst tension or differences. And I think that is, again, wisdom. That is, hopefully, if we are treasuring scripture the way it was meant to be treasured, um, if we are um, adapting its practices the way they were meant to be adapted into our hearts, hopefully, we become more and more that person. Yeah. The one who is not um, hammering people over the head, baiting people into a fight, mm-hmm. um, berating them for their viewpoints. Um, I, I hope that I am becoming more and more like that mm-hmm. as I follow Jesus. That's my, that's my hope. Yeah. Um, I said, I'm becoming a little bit more gentle instead of more dogmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I win at that and sometimes I lose, but I, I find that when I am able to, um, respect and even treasure the mystery of scripture and sort of it's it's very strange meanderings and and then take away what there is to take away i i feel myself well to his words becoming a little bit more like jesus Mm -hmm. instead of less Mm -hmm. instead of less and so i um i guess that's the most we can hope for our little tiny speck of dust on this earth in this one millisecond that's the best we can do Hey guys, breaking in for a quick second to tell you about a new book from one of my dear friends, Matthew Paul Turner. So Matthew and his wife, Jessica, who's actually been on the show, are really good friends of mine and Brandon's. And I have loved, capital L, Matthew's children's books since the very first one he self-published, which they then caught the attention of the world and are absolute bestsellers. So in my opinion, His children's books stand in a category all their own. I am such a huge fan, and you know that is true. Um, In fact, when Matthew read this latest book called When I Pray For You, 
to me just off his phone before he even had illustrations at an event we were at last summer. Me and my two girlfriends sat there and bawled. It is so, so beautiful. This is a book I promise every parent will want to read to their children. It also makes such a meaningful gift for baby showers or birthdays, um, for grandparents to read with their grandchildren. And because we love Matthew's book so much, such beautiful lyrics and gorgeous illustrations, we are making a special offer just for our podcast listeners. So when you buy, when I pray for you, you get Matthew's other incredible book, When God Made Light, absolutely free. So to take advantage of this buy one, get one free offer, amazing, for Matthew Paul Turner's books, go to waterbrookmultnoma.com slash for the love. I'm going to spell that. That's waterbrookmultnoma, M-U-L-T-N-O-M-A-H, waterbrookmultnoma.com slash for the love to get two amazing children's books from Matthew Paul Turner for the price of one. You cannot beat it. I promise you, you will be so glad you took me up on this. The most beautiful children's books I've ever seen. All right, let's get back to our show. Let me ask you these last three quick questions. We're asking everybody these questions in the faith series. Um, Here's the first one. Just top of your head. If you could have dinner, you could sit across the table from any faith hero that you love, who who would you pick? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's sort of an easy one. I think it'd be C.S. Lewis. And I know that's sort of a boring Mm. answer to give, but I don't care. (laughs) Because um, I think what, what Lewis did for me was out of college, I read the Chronicles of Narnia. Sure. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this oh, yeah. is what it means. You know, I just, just windows were open to me. And he's been, you know, I hope, mm. I, do I agree with everything? Of course not. I don't agree with myself half the time, right? That's not the totally. point. The point is that I would love to sort of like, you know, just just hang out with this guy for an hour and just yeah. talk about stuff. And and uh, hopefully the reality won't squash the myth you know, when you meet your heroes, I guess. But, but I yeah. I think you probably have to get in line for that one. It's my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Get in line in heaven. He was really something. And interestingly, you know, he said a lot of things. He's often held up as like, you know, the poster boy um, for modern evangelicalism. But I mean, he wouldn't have actually been super loved had he lived right now. No, he, he said a bunch no. of stuff. No, no, he he uh, he's not an evangelical in any sense of the word that we think. No. He's he's more. I would just say he's orthodox. You know, he's yeah. he's a really good Jesus following Anglican. Uh, that's a great way to put it. How about this? Do you have, and this could this could be any number of things, either either a, a verse or a phrase or an idea or a quote or a bit of a mantra that would sort of encapsulate your faith? Yeah, this was harder for me because um, a bunch of things came to mind. Um, mm-hmm. Can I give you a couple? Please. Do, do I just okay? Well, nope. one That's is couple. you know I've I've learned a lot from Richard Rohr about a lot of stuff, mm, and the thing yes. that I heard him I think I heard him say this I didn't read it, but it was years ago when I was just starting my own sort of deconstructing reconstructing mode. But he says if we do not transfer our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Oh, I've said that in a sermon. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's that like oh uh, yeah, that's like generational stuff here. Oh, yeah, you know? that's and, between the eyes. You know, and I realize I, I have great kids, they're all adults, but like how I feel responsible, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I didn't really, I wasn't even aware of stuff. So that that's mm. a big thing for me. Um, another is this guy, Carl Rahner. He's uh, maybe not known to uh, everyone listening, but he is a mm. post-World War II German Catholic theologian who okay. who gets it. And he understood the impact of the 20th century and how we have to think differently about what God is like. And he has a quote, it appears in different kinds of ways, but his is, um, the Christian the Christian of the future will be basically a mystic <laughs> or, or, wow. this, or, or be nothing at all. Hmm. And that's, that's a mouthful. And what, what I think yeah. he means by that, at least this is the way I take what he means, is that the more we learn about, like, 
the universe, literally, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Yes. The, the more we have to embrace the mystery of it all and be a functioning Christian and not reduce God to simplistic ways of thinking, you know, and to me, that's like, that's really important to me, you know, because it's because of my academic training and all that stuff I did that I, I feel like I, I, I can see why this comes to an end pretty quickly because we simply yeah. can't wrap our heads around everything. If God is real, mystery should be like the first word out of our mouths as far as I'm That's great. You know, I actually love that. Yeah. Um, it's, to your earlier point, just the more, the more mature you become in your faith, the more we know generation to generation, I'm taking it from like a 20,000 foot view. Um, the more we know, the more we learn about science, the more we learn about creation. Um, you're right. It, it, it simply has to affect our perception of God. Um, as yeah. opposed to when you only knew your tiny little environment and you needed, you needed to understand God with really rigid words. Yeah. Um, I love that. Richard Rohr is another guest in this series. Yes. Just a real hero to a lot of us. Absolutely. Um, and then here's our last one. Ask every guest, every series, this question. It's Barbara Brown Taylor, of course, mm -hmm. one of our, one of our Queens. <laughs> um, and this can be whatever you want it to be. Some of our guests answer this in a really like poignant and sort of tender and real. Some of our guests answer this in like absurdities. And so we accept all here at the For the okay. Love podcast. Um, and of course, your question right. is, what is saving your life right now? I don't want to be that guy, but it's my granddaughter. It's our first oh. grandchild. You know, because oh. I know that like, I hate people like that. I've become oh, no. that person. Oh, I will be that person. But the thing is that, you know, she is the cutest thing objectively ever. So, oh, sure. you know, obviously. So, but no, it's, it's, it, what I, her name is Lila. She's about 17 <laughs> months old now. But, um, just seeing her develop and seeing her as the child of one of my daughters, right? And Aww. and just seeing the personalities and all that, it's like I I could just watch this kid for hours. And sometimes <laughs> I do, frankly. Right. Um but you know, it's just it, it's just there's something about that that's just just affirming and 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 beautiful and something that brings joy, I guess, you know. Totally. And, it, and it does. Because we all need that. You know, I don't get that all the time. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for your um, all the billions of hours of work you have put into scholarship and study and academics and just careful examination. Uh, there's probably just no end to how much time you have logged um, on your work. And it just it, it matters. And so as just a normal girl who has found great hope and instruction um, and direction in your work, in your writings. Um, I'm just, I'm thankful. Thank you for being the kind of teacher um, that takes your work so incredibly seriously from an academic standpoint, and then just makes it so incredibly accessible um, from a human standpoint. And so for me, it has mattered. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for how you lead. And um, and I thank you for being on the podcast today. You're the best. Thank you, Jen. That's, that's very kind of you. Yeah, I had a great time. This is wonderful. A lot of fun. Well, I, I, you owed me. I was on your podcast. Yeah. And now you've been on mine. And so we're back to ground zero. And yeah. so you get the next ask. And okay. I have to say yes. Okay, good. And then you have to reciprocate. I think that's scriptural. I think that's how Jesus set up the community. Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks, Pete. All right, Jen. Thank you. So what did I tell you? He is... He's great. And I love the conversations that Pete starts. And I, uh, to his earlier point in our conversation, um, I think what marks a really healthy and vibrant faith community is one that is willing to have this conversation together, um, to, to put this discussion in the middle and say, let's just, let's, let's hold this together. Let's hold this space. Let's, let's push and pull a little bit. And, um, oh, that's just my dream for the church is, is to be that sort of people who rather than draw these very rigid lines in the sand and then say, you're in, you're out. We're over here. You're over there. Um, we're right. You're wrong. Um, what a dream to imagine um, a faith culture that is um, above that, that is is able to say we are all beloved. And so 
inside of this little tiny scope in history. Let's, let's hold this loosely together and let's flesh it out and let's push and pull and ask hard questions. It's just a, it's a wonderful depiction of what it could be like. And I love the questions that he raises, the ideas that he has. And so um, again, if you go over to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, we'll have everything listed over there that we talked about you guys. Not only will Amanda build out the whole transcript, but we'll link to everything, all of Pete's socials, his books, his podcast. Um, we'll put up a link to my episode with him on his podcast last year. And so anything you want to find about Pete ends will be at jenhatmaker.com. So um, be sure to use that as a resource. And if it's an interesting conversation, share it. Um, put it in the middle of your small group, um, in your Bible study, um, inside your marriage or with your friends um, and say, gosh, what do we think about this? Let's, let's listen and discuss. Um, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. It has stretched me and pushed me and pulled me and inspired me. Um, it put some gas in the tank for me. I'll be honest with you just to keep going that I, this is why I believe, (laughs) honestly, this is why I believe. And, um, there's just so much goodness inside a life of faith. And I'm so grateful, um, to be a part of this community with so many smart leaders and thinkers and teachers and, um, interesting instructors. What a lucky time to be alive, you guys. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Um, and we look forward to kicking off a new series next week. So come back because we are switching gears and you are going to love it. That I can promise you. Okay, guys, see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.